Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and with me again is my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. We hope you tuned in for episodes one and two. Uh, we talked about COVID in the first go-around and then talked about the current unrest sweeping most of North America and the defunded police uh, movements and what that means for security operators and business owners. But today we're going to be talking about guarding specifically, going right down to the basics and the origins of security as most people sort of envision it in their minds. And that's a guard in uniform. What's his purpose, what he does for business, and how you get a good one in play. But before we get into that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Brian. What's keeping you up at night? Well, other than the fact that my air conditioning is still not working and it's the hottest summer on record, just a couple of things that really concern me is, again, COVID-related. And I noticed in the news, Toronto Bar Goldies in the Entertainment District lost their liquor license after a legal, legal party of 125 people. And then I read that Quebec threatens to close bars, nightclubs that don't comply with COVID-19 rules. We know that the U.S. is a mess and they're spiking. And then there was some American guy who traveled up to Atlantic Canada and spawned an epidemic. Uh, there was a spike of 20 people. So what keeps me up at night is the fragility of what we're enjoying right now. You know, we've done really well here in Canada and our case counts are going down. But we seem unable to learn what's happening south of the border and have the staying power just not to do the social distancing, to do the things that we need to do so that we don't become like those other jurisdictions. That's sort of what's keeping me up at night. That's scary because I enjoy where we're at. I see light at the end of the tunnel. But I don't want to end up like like Miami, for example, Miami-Dade, where they're looking at going back into a uh, isolation. A lockdown, right yeah. What about you? Uh, what's your thought? Well, the COVID issue is still there, as, as you point out. And yeah, I think we're going to be opening up and locking down as a matter of normal course of business, I guess, over the next few months. But the other thing that's really concerning to me, and, and I think it ties into our topic today, is the rising uh, rate of violence, certainly in the, in the States. To be sure, that's the one that's getting all the headlines. But here in Canada as well, we, we're seeing a, a rise in the Boogaloo uh, movement, extreme uh, right-wing activists. The three percenters out in in, uh, in Alberta and the Freeman of the Land movement. These are all extreme extremist right wing movements that have been emboldened by what's going on in the U.S. specifically, but have have bled into Canada. And these are movements that don't think twice about shooting officers. Certainly, they've done it in Halifax <clears throat> and they've done it in Alberta. And so, to me, to see a spike the way we're seeing is very concerning. And it sort of leads us into today's discussion about guarding. You know, you're putting these guys in uniform. They're the first people that somebody intent on doing something bad to your building is going to see when they come into your lobby. And so we want to make sure that business owners who are running these guarding operations really understand the implications of running those operations, uh, making sure that they're supported and trained properly, 
and getting the proper people in place so that, uh, you know, if, if God forbid something happens at their property, they're prepared to deal with it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important. I think that we sometimes fail to understand that business and many businesses, not all, you know, like the local pizza parlor or the nail salon place is not the same as a major shopping mall or a major attraction or a major corporation like a Walmart, which is a target for anyone that hates the U.S. But what happens out on the street ultimately happens in business. And I've noticed in my many years of doing this that a lot of major corporations get that and have very, very sophisticated security and threat management programs. But most companies don't. They just wing it. And again, I'm anxious to get into our topic today about security guards, quality or security and the quality of security, because most companies seem to think it's just enough in order to go to your local security vendor, sign a contract, get a humanoid in a uniform that says security, and now we're taken care of. There's a lot more to it. But there's one more thing that uh, really I want to talk about that's in the news that, again, baffles me, and it's COVID-related. And it's this nonsense about masks. All the medical people say how simple it would be if we just wore masks, we'd break the back of this spread and be able to get back to manageable. And, you know, as a typical Canadian, I sat there thinking how much better we are than our American brothers and sisters. And I am just beside myself when I look at the mask controversy I know that Ontario, Ontario hasn't done a province-wide, but I know the greater Toronto area have banned masks. Many of the municipalities of Toronto, effective July 7th, and we had demonstrations today because people are against the fact that their liberties, civil liberties, have been taken away. They don't demonstrate with the fact that they have to wear a helmet when they ride their motorcycle. They have no problems anymore about wearing a seatbelt, but somehow masks, their civil liberties, are taken away. There was some woman went to a Toronto hospital the other day with a broken finger, looking for treatment, and she refused to wear a mask, and the hospital refused to treat her. And she went on social media uh, saying how her rights were violated. People are smart, and she's uh, been sort of destroyed and skewered on social media. But again, this mask legislation concerns me because I thought it was a no-brainer, and businesses and companies are going to have to deal with those people, those anti-vaxxers, those people that believe the earth is flat, that refuse to comply. So that's sort of what's in the news, I think, dominating the news, things that we have to think about from a security and business management point of view. Dovetails, I guess, nicely <laughs> into security operations or security guards. Yeah, let's get to it because I think that that's uh, sort of what we've been waiting for and uh, we're eager to get to. And so really, let's start off with guarding. When, when you talk about guards, uh, there's certainly some um, prejudices or biases in, 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 uh, in the public's eyes. They think of a mall cop picture. A guy with overweight, poorly dressed, probably a little dumb. Um, and that's sort that of the, hard on yourself, Luke. <laughs> that's the stereotype that a lot of these guys have to struggle with. And the reality is that they that most of them do a really good job. Uh, they do work hard, given the, the limited training and, and, and tools and equipment and direction that they get. Let's talk about the importance of guarding to business. Uh, what's the roles and responsibilities for guarding programs in your eyes? And really talk about some of the, well, the two keywords, I think, that come up when you talk about garden operations that, that should be two keywords for our business uh, owners. And that is, what's the liability involved with running those types of operations? Uh, how do they speak back to the whole duty of care issue that uh, every employer, every property owner has or is obligated to to maintain a safe and secure property for people who attend? Well, you know, I think we've got to start off with the question, why do we have guards? I think that's, that's a million dollar question. And therein lies the essential problem. If you ask 
many businesses that have security operations, either security managers or security personnel or security guards, they don't know. They will tell you, I know in commercial real estate, many property managers will say, well, I guess we need them. Everyone else has guards. They're the face of the property. Absent a mission statement of why you have security, which essentially is in order to protect uh, life and property, to maintain normal business operations, uh, which is going to dictate why we have the guards and where we're going with the guards, you're not going to have an effective security program. Uh, what I see far too often is that we have uh, businesses don't know why they need guards, but they mm -hmm. suspect they do. They go to their service provider, and there's a lot of good and many not-so-good service providers out there, and they say, give me guards. And they yeah. give you guards, and you get a humanoid in a nice uniform that says security on their back. But that doesn't mean they've got security. You know, yeah. when I go to the hospital, in fact, last time I was there and admitted a couple of years ago, I saw this person that wore a hospital gown, like a, a doctor's uh, uh, gown, and had a stethoscope. And I called him doctor, only to find out it was a nurse. And I had a procedure a little while ago, and I had this woman come in just before I had the procedure. She didn't have a stethoscope, and I called her nurse, and she was the anesthesiologist. So the point is, just because you have a humanoid that says security doesn't mean you have security. So I think that's the first problem. We need security. We know we need it, but we're not sure why. And if you don't know where yeah. you're going, you can't get there. Yeah, I, I remember uh, the uh, the big banks that used to be in one of our buildings uh, in my previous life. Their head of security came down once he had just started there, and we had a lobby uh, concierge uh, from nine to five or nine to three, sorry. And of course, they were dressed as as concierge typically are in suits, and you would know that they were security or supposed to be security because they were in suits. And then at three o'clock, they would switch out with a, a uniformed guard. And his first question was, does the wrist change at three o'clock? Because he couldn't <laughs> understand why the, the look would change, really. And, and he had yeah. a point. There's no change. And if anything, you're more at risk during the day when you're open yeah. to traffic than you are after three o'clock when the building's essentially closed. But to me, that spoke to uh, sort of what the underlying uh, theme to your, to your opening points is that most property owners don't really understand why security is there other than the fact that the next building's got them, and so I better have them as well. And that's largely the extent of their understanding. As long as they're there, then they think that they're covered. That's the other thing that I guess we're going to probably talk about is that whole liability issue that, you know, we've got a contract, that contractor will take uh, will take on any liability that falls from guards who are mis misperforming or, or do something that's outside their authority. Well, you know, I uh, also remember in my other life that uh, I saw this a lot in my own company and many other companies that you would often have in-house security guard programs that were relatively highly trained, and then they would be backfilled by contract guards that had absolutely no training, at least no training commensurate to the in-house guard. And my question often would be, okay, so there's an incident that occurs, it's a crapshoot whether I get this highly trained in-house guard that's going to attend who's first aid CPR AED trained, or doofus who has no training that's going to attend and doesn't know what to do and i said that's a liability for the building when you call the police okay and uh, you're expecting a police officer well every single police officer whether it's his first day on the job or his 20th year on the job all have the same basic degree of uh, training but with security guards you don't know who's going to come therefore you don't know what the response is going to be that is not only a liability in respect to duty of care that can cause an action of damage litigation case against the business, but it also a brand and reputation nightmare. 
How do you explain that you called security because your family member was in a parking garage getting beaten up or, or harassed, and one guy uh, is highly trained and can deal with it, and the other guy just stood there and took notes and was yep. scared to, to act? That's the problem, because we have security programs with guards, managers, tech that are operating without a mission statement. They don't know why they're there, and that just confuses the guards. You said something uh, you and I have debated a lot over the years. But I, you know, I fundamentally agree. I think most guards are in it for the right intentions. Where the failures occur, it's not the fault of the guard. It's the fault of the guarding company or the client or the business that, did real, that didn't properly define why they're there. Because if you need a guard to do tactical interventions, then you've got to recruit a guard that has that skill set. And that same guard that's tactically trained and has that skill set is maybe not the guy you want at the library to greet people and to check them in when they come in, come into your library or to make sure they don't take a book out without signing for it. We really have to define what it is we want the guard to do. Yeah, there's a, there's a big debate in the industry, and, and we've had this discussion many times, between the ambassador-type concierge, what they call security guard, and then an intervention-capable guard who's in, in uniform. And usually it comes down to what the client prefers, whether they want a guy in a suit because they think that it looks better with the tenants. In some cases that might be true, but when, you know, when it all goes to hell, he's just going to look like another person in a suit like everybody else in your building. So I never agreed with that argument. If you want to have security, I think they need to be in a properly identified high visibility uniform that speaks, this is the guy or this is the woman who's going to be able to give you direction on what to do. The blame lies squarely with the providers and the clients. The two of them need to get their acting gear as to understanding what each other's needs are, being prepared to invest the time, money, and resources to get to that benchmark. And I'll give you a quick example. There was a guard in the States, uniform guard. The guard's responsibility was front desk duty. There had been an, in- an incident inside the office space where one of the employees had been let go. And of course, the guard wasn't told anything. The guy went out to his car, grabbed a gun, came back in and shot the guard. Fortunately, the guard didn't die, but the guard did turn around and sue successfully the client and his employer because he had no training in terms of what to do in, in case of an active attacker situation. He didn't even have the tools, the phone to call 911 at the front desk. It's just a complete failure of the security program at that property. And as much as I hate to say it, I think most properties operate that way. Certainly not the yeah. big ones that we're accustomed to, but mid-range and down. It's one guy sitting at the front desk, and they think he's going to do everything for them. Well, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's a big mistake, at least, you know, in my last job. Uh, I didn't rely on the security service provider. And, again, I just want to say there's a lot of good providers out there. But yep. there's this mistaken belief that you go to the provider, and they're going to give you what you need. Well, this I will tell you, I've been 30-plus years in public and private security. I know a lot of stuff. I don't know everything, and no one does. So it's impossible that a security provider could be an expert in commercial real estate security and in corporate security and in industrial security and the whole gamut. And that's why it's incumbent on the business to basically have a program strategy and a mission statement. And, you know, a mission statement really is just a statement which says, this is why a program exists. This is where we're going. And this is how we're going to know uh, when we get there. That example you gave with the Garden Estates that got shot and sued the employer and all the stakeholders that were involved is an example of that because that guarding company to place that guard should have realized what the risk and threats were and should have insisted that the guard had the tools and the training that he or she needed to do the job. 
On the other hand, the client, the business should have said, hey, we want security for this reason because we want a meet and greet function, but we also want someone that can take care of business if a security incident occurs. If they did that, then they would go to the uh, service provider and say, this is the type of guard we need. The problem is service providers are in business to make money. Yep. They're prepared, I guess, but in many cases, they'll do whatever the client wants. Yeah. And until the client becomes more prescriptive, and until companies, and there are some very good companies in this country that say, we heard you, client, we'd love to be uh, doing business with you, but sorry, we, that's not the way we operate and push back. We have to spark the change, both from the business point of view, where the business has thought out their security strategy and what they want to achieve. And then we not, we need service providers to do the right thing and say, you know what? We are not uh, temperature takers. We are not concierge. We're security. If you need someone to protect asset, people, brand and reputation, that's us. If you want us to be the ambassador for the company, there's probably others that can do that better. And I know that's heresy to a lot of people. Oh, my God, you can't do that. But you know what? When I go into a big mall, I don't want to see security until I need to see the you guys. Need them, yeah. the <laughs> I want to know they're there. I want the touchy-feely concierge people there smiling at me and saying, yes, sir, no, sir. But I also know if that someone's getting beaten up or someone's having a hard time, I want the guys that know what they're doing out there, the high-profile yeah, trained guys. Don't you think that just because you're in uniform doesn't necessarily disqualify you from being able to deliver that service. Like customer service is part of good security. Most of your information comes from engaging with people effectively. And so to me, I, I've always preferred the uniform guy who says this is clearly what his job or her job yeah. is. And we've had those experiences in the States when we went to, I remember going to an ACES conference once with you and uh, and we saw these really high profile guards and i can't remember the company but they really look sharp with the stetson hats and, and things like that but they were the nicest people totally professional the, the uniform basically disappears i've had this argument many times with asset managers and they say how come you don't have in the job description the need to be customer services an important competency and then i ask them how come you don't have in the job description for an asset manager customer service i agree that customer service is important but why do people only get excited when it doesn't say customer service in the security guard job description and they don't get excited like it's implicit that everyone has to do customer service in a policing point of view the tactical guys the the the, the swat guys if you will they're polite it's implicit it's an insult when i hear people tell me they get excited when i present a client well a client a job description for security guard they look at everything, the training they need, the, the, the skill set they need, and they say, you don't talk about customer service. It's implicit. They would rather I talk six pages about customer service and don't talk anything about first aid skills yeah. or de-escalation yeah. skills. So that just drives me absolutely crazy. It's a false argument. It's because people don't know why security is there. Listen, we don't put that people need to be able to breathe. We don't put the people need to be able to walk. It's implicit yeah. as, as is customer service. And we get hung up on that so much so that yeah. we want customer service ambassadors. But then I had thing. I know you want to talk. You have to <laughs> let me talk now. I'm on a roll. Oh, my God. Uh, when I was at that last place, I had a building where I had a female tenant in the lobby getting ass assaulted. First snatch gone wrong. And I had two security officers that were customer service ambassadors that everyone loved. 
But they stood there and did nothing till the police came because they didn't know what to do. Because the job description, they met it 100%. But they didn't realize their core duty was security, wasn't smiling. Hey, everyone has to smile and be nice. But I need you to do the other stuff. Not, not when it's to the detriment of your core responsibility, which is securing the building. And that's that's always been my argument with certainly asset managers who, who think they know it all. But most when it comes to security, certainly don't. I've had that argument many times. It was funny when I when I showed a video once to one of them, as I, and it just so happened that as I was reviewing the video, because the guard it was alleged that the guard was being overly aggressive with the person that he was dealing with. He basically responded to a, an unwanted person at one of the the retailers in the mall, and as he approached the person who was a female, grabbed the umbrella that they that they had with them and started waving it at the guard, trying to stab him and beat him with it. And of course, as that as I'm watching that, the asset manager walks by and the mouth drops and goes, what's that? And I said, that's what your security guards deal with every day. So the fact that he doesn't say good morning with a bright smile all the time, you know, there might be a reason for that. He's had a bad day. Maybe he's just been assaulted, but he's still there. He's doing his job. And so for you to judge everything on the ability to say good morning to your tenants and sort of short-sighted and speaks to a fundamental under, misunderstanding of what security is there to do. And a, a quick, I'll give you another quick example, and this is backed by legislation in case law that's come forward, mostly in the States, but some in, the, in, in Canada as well. I've read so many times in judgments where the judge comes out and says, having security for the sake of saying you have security is not in itself a defense and does not constitute security. You need to have the policies, procedures in place to show that it's actually a program that you believe in, that you support, and that operates effectively. So, for example, a parking lot is, a, is one that's always been in the news. You know, once a year, somebody gets raped in a parking lot, someone gets assaulted in a, in a parking lot, and of course, the, the property owner says, well, we have security. Can you prove that those, those patrols were being done? you got to be able to show that you're actually practicing what you're pretending to preach. Yeah, you're better off not having security and yeah. saving that money and use that to pay up the claims. Because at least if I go into a facility where there's no security, I understand I'm on my own. Versus go into a place where they say they've got cameras and they've got security guards, but they don't know what to do. That creates a false sense of uh, security for me as a patron. And that's more dangerous. So well, what do Oh, sorry. Well, I'm just going to say, I've been in buildings where the security guards were, it was more important for the guards to water the plants, deliver bread to clients. If something happened while they were off watering plants, can you imagine standing in front of national TV and having to say, well, that person's been assaulted or that person's been killed because our guard couldn't call 911. He was busy delivering papers to one of the, the tenants. It's just but, ridiculous. But that goes back to my opening statement about mission statement. If you don't know why you have security, then you get that. Don't uh, have it. <laughs> and you also have that creep, that mission creep. If you say that the mission is the protection of asset and, and, and people, life, property, all that good stuff, okay, then it's really easy. The KPI is, well, what is your guard doing right now if he's watering the plants? Well, how does that tie into the mission statement? It yeah. doesn't. Well, therefore, perhaps you shouldn't be doing that. Focus on the core mission, mission yeah. and when you have time, then water the plants. Exactly. So I know time is ticking pretty quick here, Brian. So let's get to our second part of, uh, of the guarding question, and that is basically understanding how you get a quality security provider in play. We've got a process I know that we've used in the past and uh, that you're continuing to use. Can you sort of share some of us, with us some of your insights on how to do a proper RFP process, basically? I think the mistake is that my experience again has been that often you start off with 
money is the first thing and then actually is the first and only thing in many cases. <laughs> yep. and what I typically have done and what I do for our clients is, well, what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And once I understand that in the RFP, because there's a lot of guard companies out there. And as I said, there's some really good ones and there's many that aren't so good. You have to go through that uh, grouping of people to decide who you want to invite. And then how do you evaluate if they are able to do what they yeah. say they're going to do? So really, I think you have to start off is what is the purpose of security? And not all security is the same. There's some that are concierge, which are, you know, hello, touchy-feely. And then there's some that are tactically trained, that they're making sure that you don't get mugged in the parking lot. And you have to decide what is it you're looking for. And don't tell me you're looking for all. Because if you're <laughs> looking for all, then you're looking for three different or four different bodies. Because one person can't do all. That's just the reality. And, you know, I just want to say this. If you want a concierge and you also want a tactical security officer, they're two different core competencies. The concierge is, yes, Mr. Cedroni, whatever you want, Mr. Cedroni. Yeah. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to go in through the entrance, Mr. Cedroni. No worries. Uh, you, I'll find yeah. you another entrance. The tactical guard says, sir, I'm sorry you're not allowed to smoke. Well, I'm going to smoke. Sir, if you smoke, you're going to be charged or you're going to be trespassed. Well, screw you. I'm going to smoke. It's a different skill set. One person, it's not realistic to think one person could do all. So you have to decide what it is you want security to do. What is your mission statement? What is the type of security program you're looking for? And once you've identified that, you have a scope of work, only then do you factor in the money piece. Because if you go with the guy that comes in with the cheapest bid, you'll get the cheapest bid. He may give you an amoeba, a brain-dead humanoid, okay? But if you want to have a tactical function to protect uh, the transit system subway platform at 3 o'clock yep. in the morning, that may not work. So I always say, I don't care about the money. Let's start off with the need. And once you've established the need, then what we look for is who's going to deliver that need in the most cost-effective manner. Money is always secondary. I've gone down that road for a number of years now and, and always push towards the quality uh, measurement as opposed to the to the cost because it's too easy to just get the cheapest service and then they're surprised when guys don't show up. Or It is a question of quality, Brian, but what are some of the challenges to getting those types of guys and women to, to become guards? Like we all talk about the guy you said, the amoeba, person who ha barely has a pulse and you know most of the listeners probably can relate to those types of guards. We've all seen them. Uh, usually sleeping in a car or on their phones as we walk around, expecting them to, to keep an eye out for, for our safety. But to get to the level that, that you're talking about, you also need to be able to pay them appropriately. You need to be able to give them the proper benefits to be able to make a career out of it. And I just don't see that right now in the business. And I think that that's part of the challenge to attracting good quality guards to the business. What are your thoughts on that? Well, one of the things I've noticed is companies that understand why they need security, they have a defined security program and a mission statement, typically pay higher than market rate. They realize that the market rate will get you a basic guard, it will get you a watchman type guard, an entry level guard, which may or may not work for your situation. But when I think of uh, some of the major malls uh, in Canada, when I think of some of the major office towers that are effective. Those are not guards making minimum wage. Those are guards making a lot more than minimum wage. So I think, as you said, you've got to be realistic. People are limited by budget. You know, and often a client will say, but I can't afford it. I understand what you're saying, Brian, or Luch. I understand that. And then my retort always is, well, if you can't afford it, that's okay. That's real life. But just understand 
if you're not going to get what you need, can you live with the consequences? Yeah, we're the gap. And you, yeah, and if you can, that's risk management. You, you, you understand the consequences, you're willing to take the risk. More often than not, people will say, I can't afford it, but I want perfection. So I think what you have to do is you have to clearly understand the type of guard you want. You have to quantify what exactly is the skill set I'm looking for. And then you have to validate. Because if you go to the guard companies and you say, I want a guard that is ABCD, and they say, yeah, no problem, okay. Well, prove it to me. You know, how will I know the guard has the training to de-escalate? Unless you articulate, this is the training he needs, or this is what the course curriculum looks like. So RFPing is a lot harder than people realize. We're doing a, 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 a security program review for a client right now, and we're looking at the contract. And when I looked at the contract, it was a contract provided by the service provider, which basically says we will provide security guards. That's the scope <laughs> of work. And then the client is telling me, I don't understand because the guards are just ineffective. Well, I said, and, and he said, the service provider is doing a terrible job. And I said, the service provider is giving you exactly what you asked for. Yep. So what do you mean? Well, you've asked for nothing and he's given you nothing. Yep. If the contract was prescriptive, we would change the current state of security being so uh, underperforming. So I think it starts with not the industry, because the industry is not going to do it. If they're making money, why are they going to change? Okay, It's got to be the consumer, because in the supply chain, the market, the uh, provider of services will always rise to the level or lower lower themselves to the level they can get away with. So it's up to us to drive the change. That's really illustrated in one of the things that, that I've done in past, and I know you've done it as well, part of that RFP selection process is doing site visits and, and doing some credit checks or reference checks to understand how that provider is, is performing at different level sites. So it's not just the, the million plus accounts that you want to visit. It's the ones that are less than that. The ones, when you've got the big account, they tend to over-service that account because that's where the money is. But how do they treat those that don't have the big bucks? And that really says a lot about the type of co- company that they're going to be. Well, you know, it's so interesting because if you think of it, you're, you're, you're buying or procuring security services because you're operating, let's say, in the, if we're talking about commercial real estate, you're operating a, a, a commercial office complex that may be worth $800 million, okay? It may have, uh, maybe home to 7,000 people. So you're buying a, a service, you're procuring a service to protect the asset and the occupants to, to maintain normal operations. Yet we just give a $5 million contract to a company without looking uh, under the hood. Whereas, would you buy a car, and a used car, and ask the guy, well, have you done all the services? Said, yep. And you yep. say, okay. I would say, let me see the service records. I would validate the information. But we don't do that in most cases with security. Yep. And quite honestly, I'm just amazed. You know, we make money in our business as, as uh, risk advisors uh, by doing our piece. What we do is not rocket science. And I don't want to say this too loud. I don't want the clients <laughs> to hear it. You know, they probably do it themselves. But we just look under the hood. We yeah. ask the right questions, and we call bullshit when we have to. You yeah. know, when a provider will tell me I can pay a guard's uh, minimum wage, and you're going to get a really good guard, I'm going to say bullshit. You're not, because if he's really good, he wouldn't be working for minimum wage. So you really have to look under the hood. So think of it this way. You're buying your 16-year-old daughter her first car. It's a used car. Look under the friggin' hood. Absolutely. But I, I do recall doing a site visit once with a, with a general manager who was insistent on keeping the current provider. And when we did the site visits to the existing uh, provider's uh, office space, and, and then we did it with the eventual winner, he was almost embarrassed to defend that, that provider. So it really is a question of getting out there and knowing who the heck you're, you're, you're going to be doing business with and verifying 
their uh, their claims. So with that, uh, we are we are definitely uh, bumping up on our time. I did want to close out with um, with some comments about our next episode, which is going to be on crisis communications and most importantly, protecting your brand when it all goes uh, south um, and how to manage some of those communications so that you're not just saying no comment to the press because that's the worst bit of co- uh, advice you can give them. Before we close out, Brian, anything you want to say in, in, in your closing comments? Yeah, I just first of all want to thank our listeners because our, our, our analytics are pretty good with the first two podcasts. And I just want to warn them because I don't want to, uh, I want to be true to them and I don't want to lose anyone. The one-minute uh, trailer for this episode I did, and I thought it was really, really good. I, I think we agreed you're going to do the next trailer for communications. And I just want to warn our listeners that it probably won't be as good. But don't worry, guys, because I'll do the one following. So please bear with us and uh, uh, listen. There's only so much I can edit to make you sound good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do want to thank uh, thank those who have listened so far for their support. The, the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive. We appreciate your support. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 